0: Good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. It's good to see each of you here. So glad that you're with us. And once again, if you're our guest, if this is your first time or if you're watching this later this week online for the first time, thank you so much for joining with us. This is going to be a great Sunday. We're kicking off a brand new series. Um, we have our discipleship course kicking off tonight. I know that's going to be great. And So I've been looking forward to this day and what God wants to speak to us this morning, And we're going to take the next five weeks and we're talking about this idea of wonder. Now think about this, whenever you're a little kid, it's easy to have wonder. Everything is new around you. Kids are full of asking questions of why. Why this, mom? Why this, dad? Why does this happen? Why is it like that? Kids are full of curiosity and so the world around them is full of wonder. But it's easy for us as we move into our teenage years, as we become adults, we think we learn a little bit more, we know more, and we lose that amazing wonder in our life. We lose that awe of God's creation and of how amazing God is. and We just kind of start going through life. We go through routines and we go through kind of cycles in our life and we miss out on that. And so as we do that, we know it's not because God's any less awesome. It's not because God's better when you're a kid and he's not as cool whenever you're an adult. It's not because his creation is any less breathtaking it's because as adults and as teenagers, we have so many distractions in our life. We're so busy many times. We're going from place to place. We fill up our schedules. We're producing and we're doing so much stuff that we forget what children know. And that's to take a moment and to pause and just to wonder at the world around them. And so we want to spend the next few weeks of our life looking at that. How do we recapture that wonder? How do we return to that child? like faith. And so we're going to start this whole series by pausing. I want you to do this with me this morning. I want to ask you to take a moment and just right here, right where you're at, want you to breathe in deeply. Take a deep breath in and deep breath out. Take a moment and place your hands, palms facing up, right there in your lap. Close your eyes for a second. I want you to reflect on this idea that God is present with you here in this moment. The God of all creation, the God who spoke everything in existence, the God who holds the entire world together, He's near you in this moment. He's right here with you. Take a moment and just think about your physical body. Are you tense? Maybe some of you are carrying stress. You can feel that your muscles are tightened because of anxiety, because of worry in your life. Imagine you're holding all of that stress and all of that worry and anxiety in your hands and offer them up to God. Bring your unanswered emails, phone calls that you haven't returned, all the things that you aren't getting done, text messages that you haven't responded to, and let them go this morning. Bring all the broken relationships All of your losses, what you're grieving right now at this point, your responsibilities, the expectations that other people have put upon your life, the whole of who you are, and bring them to God. And I want to invite you as you do that, just to turn your hands over and to imagine you're placing all of those things into God's hand. Think about it. You can't fix anything in the next few moments. You're not God. You can't be In multiple places at once. You can only be present here. There are things outside of this room you can't control and things you can't do. And so for the next few moments, I invite you to allow God to take care of them. You're dropping all of your pain and everything into the hands of your Savior. And now one last time, just open your hands back up, flip them back over. And I want you to repeat this after me. Lord, I am here. Let me hear your voice. Help me to recapture the wonder. Restore a childlike faith. Don't let me be in a hurry. But let me see how amazing you are. Okay, now you can open your eyes. You may need to nudge the person next to you if they fell asleep. Because whenever we pause like that, I don't know if you just felt that, but I've been trying to practice this more in my life, just kind of sitting in silence for a moment, and I realize my body starts to close down. It thinks it's time to go to bed. Because we're so busy many times in our life that the only time you pause is when you lay your head down on the pillow and you start to crash at night and your mind shuts down from everything that it's been rushing through for the day and you're exhausted and so you start to sleep. And I've just been reflecting on how often do we pause? How often do we stop, God, and just think, you're here with me? How amazing is that, that the God of all creation chooses to be present with us? And even in my prayer time, so many times, I use them to produce, God, do this. I need you to work on this in my life. God, I need you to do this in my workplace or do this with my family, or this person has this need. God, do this, this, and this. And very few times do I just stop. And take a breath and say, God, you're here and you just want to be near me. God, you want to be close to me in this moment. See, we're so busy rushing here and there that many times we don't see the wonder of God. We don't see how amazing God is, how great his love is because we're so busy. And in this series, once again, we want to recapture that wonder. We want to look again with childlike faith at how amazing our God is. And as we look at stories that are thousands of years old, we want to reflect on what that means for us and how they still impact our life and impact our faith. And so today, we're going to be looking at a story that takes place around a city called Jericho. This story happened hundreds and and probably a little bit over a thousand years before Christ walked here on this earth. This revolves around the people of God and a promise that God had given them. You may be familiar with the story. And because we want the story to come alive, we want to see the story in new ways. Every week during this series, I've asked one of my pastor friends to share um, a little bit of the background. And so today I want us to learn a little bit of the background and what was taking place and what the city of Jericho was like. So let's watch this.
1: Hey NCC, I want to give you a brief history and overview of the city and the walls of Jericho. Now, historians and archaeologists date Jericho back to 9000 BC. It's one of the oldest and ancient civilizations known to man. And it's one of the first, if not the first city that was discovered to have a wall completely surrounding the city. It dates that far back because many civilizations and populations grew up around the city of Jericho because there were two major streams of water flowing into that region of the world. And so that made it a very desirable place to live. In fact, Jericho is about 13 miles east of the city of Jerusalem and about six miles west of the Jordan River. Now, archaeologists have also discovered that Jericho during its long history was actually leveled several times by major earthquakes. In fact, the walls in the city had to be completely and totally rebuilt from the ground up. They've also discovered that the stones that were building the towers and the wall that surrounded this city were anywhere from five to six feet wide no doubt, to keep all invaders and people who were trying to come against the city of Jericho out. And so that's a brief and quick summary of the city and the walls of Jericho. And so we want to look at this
0: this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter six. And we're going to start reading at verse one. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you, and it's on page 104 in that book. And I want to encourage everyone to open up the scriptures, whether you take out your smartphone and Google it, but to look at this with us as we follow this story and we see how God moves in the lives of his people. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, once you have that, hold on to that for a quick moment, in case you've never read the story of Joshua you've never read this part of the Bible, let me explain to you what's happening here. The people of God have come out of 400 years of slavery. And even if you've not been around church a lot, you may be familiar with this story. This is where God delivers his people um, from under the hand of Pharaoh. He does a lot of signs and wonders. There's all of these crazy things that happen. He parts the Red Sea, so the people of God walk across on dry land, and they're headed to the promised land, the land that God told them he would give them. And as they get close, they wanna know what's this gonna be like, Lord? What's the land like? What's gonna happen? and, And what's gonna take place? And so they send 12 leaders into the land to kind of spy on it and find out what's happening. And the leaders come back and they say, we're in trouble because there are physical giants there. There are these ginormous men and they're gonna crush us. There are walled cities like Jericho that we're not gonna be able to defeat. There are armies that are a lot stronger than we are. And so we can't do this. God just basically led us into our death. And so they start complaining, God, what did you do? Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here to the desert to die? And so God says, fine, if you don't wanna go into the promised land, I'm not gonna force you to. And so they wander around in the desert for 40 years. A trip that should have taken a matter of weeks, possibly even months, 40 years, they're walking around in circles over and over again because they don't trust God. And all that generation dies. And now the kids and the grandchildren of those that were slaves in Egypt They're adults now, and God once again brings them to the promised land, and he says, hey, I want to bring you in, and so they have this question of if they're going to trust God, and this is where we pick up the story. There's a new leader. Joshua's leading them now, and so Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 says this right here. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out of the city. None came in, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. "'with its king and the mighty men of valor. "'So you shall march around the city, "'all the men of war going around the city once. "'And thus you shall do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets "'of the ram's horns before the ark. "'And the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. "'And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, "'and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, "'then all the people shall shout with a great shout.'" and the walls of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. So let me pause here. What's going on in this story? What's happening? Well, God's bringing his people into the land that he promised them. But as you learn a little bit about the city and as we start to understand what's taking place, we realize it's a very different picture, at least than I grew up kind of thinking about this city and what's happening here. In the city of Jericho, it's actually kind of a smaller town. It's about six to 10 acres, kind of six to 10 city blocks, if you can imagine that. It's right around that size. It's not a very large town. There are only about 3,000 to 5,000 inhabitants that live in the city of Jericho. There is a nation that is coming against them. This is the nation of Israel. From the numbers that we see in the previous book right here, we know that there are 600,000 fighting men in the nation of Israel. That means that there are probably 1.2 million people in this nation coming against this city that has about 5,000 people. And this is what God tells them. You've got 600,000 warriors. You've got this massive army that could just crush Jericho. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to walk around the city. Now they're faced with this question that probably you would be asking and I would be asking why. That doesn't make any sense, God. We could do this. Like, we're ready to fight. We don't want to make the same mistakes that our parents made or our grandparents made, God. We don't want to, God, we're taking this land, God. We've got this land. We have the fighting power. We could easily demolish and crush Jericho. Yes, it has a wall around it, but God, we could take down this wall. We could do this. They had this temptation to try it on their own or to trust God to say, God, can we actually follow what you're asking us to do? You and I, we're faced with that same situation over and over again in our life. How many times have you been faced with a difficult situation and God tells you something and you're like, wait a minute, God, you're telling me to do what? You want me to pray about that? You want me to wait on that? God, I could easily do this on my own. And like the Israelites, we're standing there thinking, God, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't look like this is going to work, God. This isn't the way this should be done. I know better, God. And so let me tell you how we should do this. We face the same situation. Why? Because even though we're separated by thousands of years, people are not that different. And you and I, in our lives, so many times, we think we know better than God. We think this is the way that our dating relationships should work. This is how I should get a promotion at work. This is what my finances should be like, God. This is how my life should be going, and this is how the direction should be. We know better than God. We can take it in our own control, but the question is, are you going to trust God or are you going to try it on your own? Are you going to trust that what God says is actually in your best interest, that God knows better than you? Are you going to trust him or are you going to try to do it on your own? When we try to do it on our own, we miss what God has in store for us. We miss the power of God and the wonder of God. And so Israel is standing there with this question. Do we trust them? Do we really walk around the city one time for six days, one time every single day? And then on the seventh day, we walk around seven times. That's what you want us to do? Because God, we could build like a siege ramp. We could build some ladders. We could take this wall pretty easy and we could crush this thing and we could take it down. God, we have enough men to overpower them. But they're faced with that question. Do we trust them? And the thing that I think helped them is, is when they paused, they reflected, they saw what God was doing. This was 40 years to the day that God had brought them out of Egypt. They had just celebrated the Passover meal. Almost to the exact day, 40 years earlier, they were walking out of Egypt, celebrating the deliverance of God. And they're having to think in that moment, God, you did that back then. God, we can trust you right now. Sure, it doesn't look like it makes sense, God. It doesn't look like this should be the way, but God, we can trust that you know better than us. You brought us out of Egypt, God. You are going to lead us in this moment, even though it looks like we can do it in our own strength. God, we're not. We're gonna follow your lead. As I was thinking about this, I thought about a story that I read before. I think I may have shared this one Sunday with you guys, but it's about a young child, and he's walking in the evening with his dad, and they're walking through the neighborhood. His dad is a big, strong guy. and He has large hands. And the son's hands are kind of wrapped up in the hand of the father as they walk together. And they're laughing. And they're telling stories. And it's kind of um, cooling down. and It's in the evening time. And they're just having a good time. And the son is holding his father's hand um, with one of his hands. And he's pulling a little red wagon with the other. And they walk across the street. And the wagon goes down off the sidewalk. Clunk, clunk clunk, clunk. And they cross the street together. And then he tries to get it to go up on the other sidewalk, but he can't quite get the wheel to go over the curb. And so he's pulling and he's tugging, but he can't. He's trying with all of his strength, but he's just not strong enough. And so he lets go of his father's hand. And now he's going to try with two hands. He wants to be like his dad. He wants to be strong. And so he starts to just battle against this thing, but it's not moving. He can't get the wheel up above the curb. And so he thinks, if I get a running start, and so he backs up and he takes off running and he hits the curb and the wheel doesn't go up above the curb. He just falls on his bottom and he scrapes up his leg and he's crying in frustration. And the dad looks at him and he says, what's the matter? And he's like, I can't do it. I've tried everything. I've tried to do it all and I just can't. And the dad said, you haven't tried everything. You haven't asked me. And the dad, without any effort at all, just walks over and picks up the wagon and sets it up on the sidewalk. And he brushes off his son's leg and he wipes the tears from his face and he takes them in his hand and he says, all you have to do is ask me. You just have to trust me. And I think how many times in your life and in my life, we're trying to do it on our own, you guys. We're trying to fix it in our own strength. We're trying to make it work in our own power. We're we're doing it by ourselves when God is saying, hey, will you simply trust me? How many times do we do this? We walk out to the mailbox, we pull out the mail, we see that medical bill that we weren't expecting, and all of a sudden our mind starts to race. I move this money here, I wait on this, okay, I can do this, okay? And we try to fix it on our own instead of trusting God. How many times in that relationship you feel betrayed and you start writing that email in your head or that Facebook message? I'm going to say this, I'm going to tell them off, they're going to know what I think. Okay, then they'll respond like this, so then I'll do. you've had 50 conversations in your mind with that person. You're trying to fix it on your own instead of saying, "God, what do you want to do in this moment? I trust you." How many times are we trying to do it in our own effort, in our own strength. That's what the Israelites could have do. We have more than enough men to take the city, God. We've got this. You just sit over there on the sidelines and God, we're gonna take your promise for you. And God's saying, no, trust me. Trust me in this situation. Church, you can trust him. He is trustworthy. And that's what we see in this story that God is reminding his people, I am with you. I'm the one that's gonna go before you. You simply have to trust me. But in order to do that, We can't rush into it. We have to pause. And that's the second thing that we see in this story. See, it's when Israel pauses that they see the wonder of God. It's when you pause that you see the wonder of God. You see what God can actually do. You see the power of God at work in your life. Not when you rush, not when you try to do it on your own, not when you try to fix it yourself, but when you and I, whenever we stop, that's when we see God begin to work. That's when God is able to move in and meet the needs and deal with the circumstances in our life. It's when we pause. How silly was it that this massive army walks around the walls? As I mentioned, this is not a large city, so it's probably taking them maybe 30 minutes, if they're a fast walker, maybe 45 minutes to go around these six acres. And then what are you going to do for the rest of your day? You go back to the camp and you sit there you got this massive army, and now you're just sitting there. But God said, I want you to pause. But it's not just the six days. They get into the promised land. They come across the Jordan River, and do you know what God tells them to do? Stop right here. You're going to remember the Passover. One of the first things you're going to do when you come into the promised land is you're going to stop, and you're going to reflect on how I brought you out of slavery what I did to free you from the hand of Pharaoh that had oppressed you. You're gonna remember my deliverance. So when you come into this land, don't take off running towards Jericho, the first city, and get ready. No, you're gonna pause. And then after they remembered the Passover, you know what God did? He said, I want you to stop. And I want you to go through this ceremony. You're gonna consecrate yourself. You're gonna actually set yourself apart and you're gonna remember the goodness of God because tomorrow I'm gonna do great things among you. And so it's like, they've got all of this strength and God says, yeah, you're not gonna use that. You're gonna stop. And then after you've paused, you're gonna pause again. And then after you've paused again, you're gonna pause again. And you're going to keep reflecting. You're going to remember all of the signs and wonders that I did to bring you out of Egypt. You're going to remember walking around in the desert and how I made bread appear on the ground. You're going to remember being thirsty and how I made water come from a rock. You're going to remember day after day how I took care of you, how I provided for you. You're going to reflect on my goodness. That's what you're going to do. You're going to pause and you are going to see the wonders of God you're going to see who I am, that I am the one that takes care of you. And that's what we see in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. We see that the people follow God, that they trust him. They don't try to do it in their own strength. And this is what it says, Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, they shouted a great shout, and the walls fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him and they captured the city. And so I've read this story dozens of times. I've heard this story growing up in church and in Sunday school or in kids' church or vacation Bible school. I think there was even a little song, right? And the walls came tumbling down. So there's some song like that, right? And, um, and so that's what I pictured. It's Jericho, and that they shout, like they do this big yell, kind of this, ah, right, and they're yelling, and then the walls kind of just tumble down. But that's not what happened, is it? Because when you read this story, that's not what took place. You read, they shout, and the walls were crushed flat. And I'm just picturing that now again in my mind. You've got 600,000 warriors And they're screaming, they're ready to do something, right? They're ready for something to happen for them to go into battle. And they look over where the wall was, and now there's dust. There's nothing there, church. It's empty. That's why the story says it like that. It wants you to picture that. Each man walked straight forward there was a wall standing there before there was something blocking them and now all of a sudden there's dust on the ground and they just walk straight in not in one area this wasn't them crawling over over rubble or moving stones or moving things out they're just walking straight forward that's what God does That's the wonder of, they couldn't have imagined this. They wouldn't have thought of this, right? They were thinking battering rams and siege ramps and all of this stuff. And God says, no, there's not even going to be a wall there. I'm going to take care of it. That's the wonder of God. You and I, we could think of all of these creative ways. And God says, no, I'm going to do it totally different. You're not even going to imagine how I'm going to take care of you what I'm gonna do to destroy the things in front of you. That's the kind of God that I am. But it doesn't happen if you and I rush in. It doesn't happen when we're so busy that we're trying to fix it on our own. It happens when you stop, when you begin to pause, You begin to reflect on the goodness of God. You remember, God, you're faithful. You were faithful five years ago. You were faithful five months ago, God. You're gonna be faithful today, God. You're gonna be faithful in the future. God, I trust, I stop and I trust in your goodness, God. I know you've got this. I know you're gonna take care of this, Lord. You're gonna handle this for me because I've seen you do it over and over again. What do you think that did to Israel's faith? They go into the next battle And they're like, okay, what what are you going to do now? You made walls disappear. Show us what is it this time, Lord. How are you going to show up? Lord, we don't want to tell you what to do because you've got something crazy planned. You are an amazing, you are a wonderful God. You continue, Lord, to blow our mind and show us things that we couldn't even imagine. What are you going to do this time? What do you think it did to all of Israel's enemies? Wait, there's something different about their God. Wait, there's something different. Man, you don't want to go up against Israel's God. He makes walls disappear. He flattens them like a pin. He just crushes them and they're totally gone. He fights on their behalf. Israel God takes up their banner and he goes before them and he crushes the end. That's the kind of God that he is. See, it did something for Israel's faith. It stirred up something inside of them because they were willing to pause and said, you're a God of wonders. You're a God that does the impossible, Lord. Let me point out one last thing in this passage, and then we're going to close and we're going to pray together. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. They had followed God. They had obeyed him. The walls went down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. And I'm thinking there's a lot of ways you could get into the promised land. There's a lot of different ways from being in the desert where you could go up and go around Jericho, go further north. You could do all of these things to get into the promised land, but God brings them to Jericho for a reason. He wants to show them what kind of God he is. He wants to show them that no matter what stands in their way, that God is not going to allow anything to stop them from getting his promise. And I believe those are the same words that God wants to speak to you and to me this morning, God wants to destroy the walls that hold you back from his promises in your life. God wants to destroy every wall in your life that is holding you. There's a reason we go to Jericho. There's a reason Jericho's first. He could have done a lot of different things, but he brings them there because he wants them to visually see there is no wall that will stop you from the promises of God. There's nothing that can stand in your way. There's no enemy. There's nothing that can come against you that I cannot go through, that I cannot crush because I am the God of wonders. I'm the God that crushes walls. And let me tell you, in your life and in my life, There are a lot of walls that are stopping us from God's promise. There are some of us, and we're living with doubt. It's doubt inside of our life. And we don't know, God, can I trust you? Can I really expect you to be good? Can I expect you to come through? Or do I have to do this on my own? For some of us, it's anger, it's unforgiveness. Some of you, you've built a wall of unforgiveness, and that person hurt me. And I don't know, God, and yet it's holding you back from the promise of God. God's word says if you can't forgive someone else, you can't receive the forgiveness of God in your life. It's a wall. And God's telling you this morning this is the God that I am. I destroy and I crush down any wall that would stand in your way. Church, I believe that. That's who He is. It doesn't matter what's there. He is the God who crushes walls in our life. He is the God who demolishes anything that stands in our way because he wants you to get to his promise. He wants to give you what he's been declaring over your life. And some of you, you may have felt dry. It may feel like you've been walking around in a wilderness. And I'm believing this. In 2019, God wants to destroy some walls in your life. And he wants you to step into his promised land. I believe that, church.